we're going to prove that a Democratic candidate for president can win here statewide. Democratic presidential candidates visit Utah in preparation for Super Tuesday. Our goal is to have a successful caucus. Democratic presidential hopefuls watch as the Nevada caucus enters full swing. Please just tell us where the kids are. That's what the most important thing is. An Idaho woman whose children haven't been seen since September has been arrested in Hawaii. You're listening to the Newsline Review, the show that brings you the weekly roundup of this week's most important news and how it affects your daily life. My name is Matthew Loveland, and I'll be your tour guide today. For months, an Idaho mother has been at the center of an investigation into the disappearance of her two children in September. Police arrested Lori Vallow Daybell on a warrant issued by authorities in Madison County, Idaho. She was booked in a jail and held on a bond of $5 million. She was charged with two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children, according to Kauai Police. She was also charged with resisting or obstructing officers, criminal solicitation to commit a crime, and contempt of court. Lori's children, 7-year-old J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan, have not been seen or heard from since September. Last month, she failed to comply with a court order to bring her children to authorities in Madison County, Idaho, where the children were last seen. Authorities confirmed the children were not in Hawaii with their mother and her husband. Tylee Ryan's cell phone was found in Lori Vallow's possession. It was not clear from police whether her husband, Chad Daybell, was arrested or detained. Vallow will appear in court in Hawaii at a future date and can choose to waive or fight her extradition to Idaho to answer for the charges against her. This is a story that hits me close to home. These people are from my hometown of Rexburg, Idaho, and I used to pass their home every day on my way to school. It's a terrible tragedy. And I hope the kids are okay. Today, Democratic presidential hopefuls await the results of the Nevada caucus. The state party reported nearly 75,000 voters participated in the four days of early caucusing. Caucus sites open at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and are called to order by 3 p.m. Eastern Time. According to early voting results from the Democratic Party, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has a wide lead in Nevada with support from 30% of those polled. Former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg followed with support from 17% and Biden with 16%. This follows Wednesday night's Democratic debate where former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg made his first appearance on the debate stage. Presidential Democratic candidates Pete Buttigieg and Mike Bloomberg are blazing campaign trails and Salt Lake City is one of their stops. Buttigieg stopped in Utah on President's Day to speak at the Union Event Center. When you're a mayor, you got to just get things done. If, if the numbers aren't adding up at the end of the year on the budget, you don't get to just print Salt Lake City dollars or Salt Lake County dollars. You have to figure out a way to make it work. He is looking to keep momentum after strong showings in Iowa and New Hampshire. Bloomberg was in Salt Lake on Thursday for his rally to talk about his views of the country's largest issues and his plan to defeat Donald Trump. Or no voter is too liberal or too moderate or too conservative to help us make Donald Trump a one-term president. And that includes fighting for the six electoral votes right here in Utah. Tulsi Gabbard also hosted a Meet the Candidate event at the University of Utah and then a town hall at Pierpoint Place in Salt Lake City on Friday. Tonight, Gabbard will be at the Provo Marriott Hotel for another town hall. Utah is among the 14 states where voters will cast ballots March 3rd. Super Tuesday, baby! Why ask me? Because I am trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. The Boy Scouts of America is filing for bankruptcy. The youth organization filed for bankruptcy on Tuesday as it faces a wave of sexual assault lawsuits. Their assets are between $1 billion and $10 billion, and they estimated nearly $1 billion in liabilities. According to its website, it filed Chapter 11 to equitably compensate victims who were harmed during their time in scouting. Local councils are not filing for bankruptcy as they are legally separate and distinct organizations. The BSA president and chief executive officer, Roger Mosby, released a statement saying the BSA cares deeply about all victims of abuse 
abuse and sincerely apologize to anyone harmed in scouting. We are outraged that individuals took advantage of our programs to harm innocent children. The grandparents of Charlie and Braden Powell are suing the Washington State Department of Social Health Services in the deaths of their grandsons. Chuck and Judy Cox say the state's negligence contributed to the death of the two boys in 2012. Susan Powell, the mother of the two boys, went missing in 2009 when the Valley lived in West Valley. In 2012, he set his home on fire while the boys were there for a court-authorized visitation. The grandparents are suing DSHS for $87 million. They say the amount equals $5 million for each minute the boys suffered with their father before they died. Utah lawmakers vote to put new regulations on pornography. On Tuesday, House lawmakers approved a proposal to require pornography to carry warning labels about harm to minors. An adult entertainment industry group says the vote is a dark day for freedom of expression. The new measure is narrowly aimed at hardcore obscene material. But a spokesman for this free speech coalition says the way the law is written could still allow for thousands of lawsuits against creators of adult entertainment. Another bill being discussed by the House concerns polygamy. Polygamy! Mr. Polygamy! And this is Mrs. Polygamy, Mrs. Polygamy, Mrs. Polygamy, and Mrs. Polygamy. The bill modifies the crime of bigamy from a third-degree felony to a minor infraction. Other changes include the third-degree felony charges for forcing involuntary bigamy. Senator Deidre Henderson hopes this change will make it easier for those who are forced into polygamy will come forward. Last week, the Utah Senate passed another controversial bill. The Senate Bill 67 says an aborted fetus will have to be disposed of, quote, properly instead of automatically disposed of as medical waste. Supposedly, it will allow women who have miscarriages and abortions to decide how to dispose of the remains. However, some groups say the bill carries a hidden cost. I spoke to two representatives from two different organizations with two different opinions on the bill. I reached out to Katrina Barker, the Communications and Marketing Manager for the Planned Parenthood Association of Utah, and Mary Taylor, the President of Pro-Life Utah. I had a list of questions and concerns that I hope both women would help me understand. I reached out to Katrina first. What exactly does uh, Utah Senate Bill 67 seek to do? Essentially, it requires healthcare facilities who care for patients who experience miscarriage or abortion to provide cremation or burial for the fetal remains. Mary's response was a little different. So the bill just actually gives women or and parents, in the case of miscarriage, more choice with the final disposition of their baby. So uh, in the case of a miscarriage, the parents could opt to um, take charge of those fi- of that final disposition. Same um, in an abortion case, a woman ha- or parents have to do nothing if they don't if they don't want to. Nothing is required of them. One concern I had was how much this requirement would cost a mother. Uh, what kind of cost would this come at the patient? Well, so we don't really know right now. Currently, the practice is that if a person has a miscarriage or if they have an abortion, fetal remains are disposed of most typically with other biological material. However, Mary says that she has the answer. But if the abortion clinic takes the number of abortions that they do annually and dispose of them every Every 120 days, which is allowed um, by law, it came out to a dollar eight, dollar and eight cents per fetus to dispose of those babies in a respectful, in a respectful way. She recognized, though, that one variable of her math may have influenced the outcome. I didn't have access to miscarrying numbers, so I don't know what an average hospital deals with in miscarriages. Maybe more, maybe less. But she feels that doesn't detract from the message she's trying to share. But the, the point is, is that when you do the simultaneous cremation or burial, it should not incur a huge cost. 
Katrina felt like the system in place already met the needs of the parents. And if, but if a patient requests to have the fetal tissue in order to bury a cremate, then medical providers can help with that process. So as things currently are in Utah, there really is no reason to pass this bill because people already have these options. Mary countered that this wasn't always the case. Especially in the case of miscarriage, a lot of times by the time the woman or the parents, you know, get their feet back on the ground after such a shock, those remains have gone and, you know, they they are not, they do not have the option to do that. However, Katrina notes that after a miscarriage, a mother may not be ready to deal with being forced to decide how to treat the remains. I think that these are really personal experiences and it's not something the government needs to be intruding in. To force people to have to make these decisions in these really vulnerable moments feels very unnecessary to me. Mary felt like she was codifying the choice that women have. We often find that if we can provide some answers and some assistance, that that they will bring that baby into the world. Yesterday, Senate Bill 67 was returned to the Rules Committee to consider its financial impact. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has released an updated version of the General Handbook. Nine of the 38 chapters of the handbook have been rewritten. The remaining 29 chapters will also be rewritten in upcoming years. The church originally planned to release the new handbook in 2022, but decided to release it early. The handbook is available in a digital copy. The church says that a digital version will make updating additional changes more convenient in the future. The handbook is available in English and plans to be translated into an additional 51 languages. To see the official First Presidency letter or a list of frequently asked questions, go to churchofjesuschrist.org. Along with changes to the LDS handbook, Brigham Young University also altered parts of its honor code. BYU has changed parts of its honor code policy regarding homosexual behavior. The recently released General Handbook of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints led BYU to alter the honor code to match. The Daily Universe reported on the change quoting the Church's General Handbook, which says, God's commandments forbid all unchaste behavior, either same-sex or heterosexual. The updated honor code says the BYU community is to, quote, live a chaste and virtuous life, including abstaining from any sexual relationships outside of marriage between a man and a woman. The honor code office also removed the section that targeted homosexual behavior specifically. People were initially excited about the changes, with Twitter user Francesca posting, the honor code was updated and now gay students can date. Another user replied, if this is real, we need to have a big party. Unfortunately, many have misunderstood what the changes mean. BYU clarified by posting, even though we have removed the more prescriptive language, the principles of the honor code remain the same. That clarification caused a lot of negative feedback. User Blake said that, these changes are empty and confusing. Well, this user compared the new policy change to a dumpster fire. To clarify, the change means that there is the same consequences if there is an honor code infraction, whether it be between a homosexual couple or a heterosexual couple. Neil M. from Twitter posted, People do not have their agency. The honor code cannot change that. That does not mean you can do whatever you want and remain at BYU. Consequences are a result of exercising agency, not method to block agency. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. President Trump pardons a rogues gallery of white-collar criminals. Uh, And the question is whether he can take the slings and arrows that are coming his way in stride. Former U.S. presidential candidate Andrew Yang makes a surprise comeback in an unusual place. But now we're going to come and change this community. A new type of restaurant is approved for the Provo area. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives and restore sight and health for many more. Sign up right now online as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You'll be happy you did. 
And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. President Trump passes out pardons and offers up clemency to some notoriously corrupt white-collar criminals. The president announced pardons and commutations to seven people, including a former governor of Illinois, Rod Blagovich. Others pardoned were a former New York City Police Commissioner, Bernard Carrick, Michael Milken, and Edward DeBartolo. The law allows the president unlimited authority to grant pardons. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos donates $10 billion for the fight against climate change. The world's richest man says the money will go through an initiative called Bezos Earth Fund. His donation will support scientists and organizations that are trying to mitigate the impact of climate change. Bezos made the move after Amazon employees pushed him to do more about the environment. Walmart had a not-so-jolly holiday last season. Yikes. America's largest retailer reported Tuesday just a 1.9% increase in sales during the final quarter of 2019. That included a 35% spike in online sales. Walmart's chief financial officer, Brett Biggs, said in a news release those numbers were not as good as expected. There were six fewer days last year between Thanksgiving and Christmas in 2018. According to Walmart, the shorter holiday season contributed to the slowdown. Andrew, welcome to CNN. Uh, we're very happy that you're that you're joining us. CNN announced Wednesday that Andrew Yang, an entrepreneur who dropped out of the Democratic presidential race last week after single-digit showings in Iowa and New Hampshire, has joined the network as a contributor. Yang retweeted CNN's official announcement that he was hired and wrote this. I'm excited to join CNN to help shed light on the election and the candidates' experiences. I learned a lot these past few months, and I'm glad to contribute to the public discussion. He later tweeted, Maybe I'll wear a tie. He made his first contributor appearance Wednesday to discuss that evening's Democratic presidential debate, the first with former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg on the stage. This is essentially the Bloomberg debate, <laughs> Anderson. It's going to be a real test of temperament and even humility for... Mike tonight. Andrew Yang received high praise from political observers for his analysis during his first day as a TV commentator. Andrew Mott on Twitter added, Yang is the only candidate to say good ideas can come from both sides of the aisle. Ideas aren't red or blue. Solutions don't need progressive or socialist labels. Either the ideas make sense, are financially and strategically executable, help people, or they don't. Heidi on Twitter also added, as a veteran, I find myself years after my service still looking for a mission to dedicate myself to and finding myself hopeless that anything can ever be accomplished. Thank you, Andrew Yang and the Yang Gang, for giving me something to fight for. Love you all. At Gupta Thoughts acted out what he thought Yang might have said to himself. Well, a bunch of networks took interest in me having me on as a contributor. But to no one's surprise, MSNBC didn't call. What's new? Evan B. on Instagram noted how busy Yang has been keeping himself. Since Andrew Yang has dropped out, he has joined CNN as a political commentator, said he will start his own podcast, still has a big mystery announcement to reveal. There's no doubt, hashtag Yang2020 was only the beginning. We're not going anywhere, Yang gang! Tuesday night, the Provo City Council voted to allow restaurants to establish microbreweries. It's five o'clock somewhere. There are currently 60 businesses in Provo with alcohol licenses, but that number could soon expand with the introduction of brew pubs, eateries that brew and serve their own beer. The city opened discussion on the proposed change two weeks ago and has since gathered quite the following. More than 1,300 individuals responded to the city survey, and about 80% of responses strong support Provo's future microbreweries. Only 10% reacted negatively. Change is certainly coming, but not immediately. While Tuesday's bill passed, it was with a clause dictating changes will not be implemented until a amendments are made to Provo's beer licensing and registration. 
The coronavirus has killed thousands of people worldwide and continues to cause panic around the world. But local health officials say we should be more concerned about the flu. Newsline's Rachel Smith is here with me now to tell me why. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing real good. So, Rachel, with all of the dramatic headlines around the world about the coronavirus, why should we be more concerned about the yearly flu season? So it's not so much a matter of what is more deadly or what is more contagious. It's more just what is more prevalent around our area. So if you're in Wuhan, China, you do want to be more concerned about the coronavirus. Mm. However, here in Utah, you're um, going to want to be more concerned about contracting influenza because it still does kill people. It still is a serious illness, and it's a lot more widespread throughout the state and throughout the United States. Wow. I'm surprised. Are you surprised? I was a little bit surprised when I heard what health officials had to say and how they were more concerned about influenza. You know what? That makes sense. And it looks like one of the people you interviewed, Dr. Rebecca Ward, agrees with you. What we know right now is that influenza is very widespread in the U.S., all over the U.S., and so you're much more likely to get influenza right now than the risk, you know, getting infected with novel coronavirus. So right now we have 15 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the U.S. At what point do we need to worry more? At this point in Utah, there have been no confirmed cases. There have been um, some media play-ups a little bit about two Utahns who may have contracted the virus. However, they're not considered Utah cases because they were not contracted in Utah. If it gets to the point where there are more cases uh, confirmed in Utah that are confirmed by the Center for Disease Control, then there may be uh, some interest in taking more caution. But right now, it's better to focus on influenza control. Okay, that makes sense. And it looks like Rebecca agrees with you. Your chances are extraordinarily low of getting coronavirus. And it's interesting that everyone's so scared of it when we wish people would be more scared about influenza because it kills people too. So now that we're in the middle of March, flu season's like half over. Should we be as concerned about the flu? The flu season is halfway over, essentially. However, it is something that kind of goes around a all the time. So you should always be taking those precautions. Wash your hands. Try not to touch your eyes and face, especially during the depth of flu season. Stay away from uh, high contact areas, large crowds. Um, so it's not it's not going to be as intense as it has been. However, it is still something that precautions should be taken to avoid. That makes sense. And it sounds like Rebecca does agree with you there. She says it's I think you hear some criticism sometimes because people will say, oh, it was only 60% effective or even only 30% effective. But, you know, for 20 bucks and a little bit of a sore arm for half a day, I will take a 30% reduction in chances. It does sound like it's a numbers game. I guess I'd rather err on the side of caution than not. Blue light is a hot topic right now. You may have even purchased blue light glasses to protect your eyes against the seemingly harmful effects of the blue light that shines from your screen. Experts from the American Academy of Ophthalmology say that blue light may not be as harmful as you think. Macular degeneration is a condition where the back of the eye or the retina tends to thin out and deteriorate over time. While most adults will not have issues with blue light, doctors advise children to limit their screen time as it can hurt eye development. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Newsline Review. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to my special guests, Katrina Barker, Mary Taylor, and Rachel Smith for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Breaker, or wherever you can listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Matthew Lovin with the Newsline Review. Have a wonderful weekend.